Hello and welcome to episode 8 of Think Peace with me, Max Burnell. Now, much of the discussion we've had on the series so far has focused on us teaching, of course depending on how you'd like to define that term, AI systems. But this time around I've got something a little different. What happens when an AI system tries to teach us humans? Rather less machine learning and more machine teaching something that has the potential to revolutionise the way that we learn in the not-too-distant future. Coming up, you'll be hearing my conversation with James Gupta, co-founder of the innovative Synap AI teaching platform that you might have seen hailed as one of the UK's most promising AI startups to look out for in 2016. James has a pretty unique mix of expertise in both medicine and programming, and is able to offer some really interesting insights that I hope you'll enjoy. So without further ado, I proudly present to you Think Peace Episode 8 with James Gupta. Yeah, okay, so could you describe to us exactly what SignUp is and where the idea came from? Sure, so um, SignUp's an online education platform that my co-founder Omer and I developed during our own time at university. So we're both medical students, uh, currently in our final year, and with medicine, as we have a lot of courses, there's just a lot of information to take in, and the people who pass the exams and the people who do well are the ones who just manage to memorise and learn as much of that as possible. Uh, We sort of noticed going into university that your students aren't really taught how to learn. They're not really given the techniques that they need in order to um, engage with knowledge at a really high level. So rather than just reading through textbooks and sort of highlighting notes, which is what most people do, we started to write multiple choice questions for each other and sort of send them over the internet, share them with our friends, and it added an element of sort of social engagement and challenge into it. And we also realized that by doing that, we were forcing people to learn in a more active way, so forcing them to really actively interrogate their ideas and to bring gaps in their understanding to the surface. So it ended up getting quite popular. And then we started to look into why it was quite popular. And, you know, we realised that it really connected with the sort of millennial buzzstream generation of people who want short, bite-sized chunks of content and they expect to be connected all the time. Um, the the AI, AI aspect of it comes in with something called spaced repetition, which is a theory about how quickly you're likely to forget a certain piece of information based on how challenging that piece of content is, how you've done in the past, um, previous answers that you've given. So we use AI and machine learning to look at someone's personal data, to look at their peers, um, and to look at other information about them, and essentially create a tailored, personalized learning plan for them. Very interesting stuff. It seems like an excellent idea. Um, So why now? Why do you think this sort of thing hasn't existed before? Is it purely that the technology hasn't been there to back it up or no one's had the idea? Um, That's a really good question. Um, In terms of specifically uh, sign-up, and then I'll move on to talking, I think, more about AI in general. I think for sign-up, the problem's been that uh, education and other fields like healthcare as well have got huge barriers to entry because um, they're, they're sort of dominated by a few really large incumbent players in the marketplace. And for someone to get started out in education uh, and just run a startup on it, it's more difficult than it is to do it in consumer tech um, uh, where you you know there's way less barriers and regulations and that kind of thing. 
So I think for a long time in education, um, the software has been coming out on a very top-down basis. So someone at a large company in a boardroom somewhere has had an idea and they've done some market research and it's eventually filtered down to professors who think it's great. And then it gets to students and the students are obviously, what's this? This is crap. I hate it. Um, so we've actually gone the other way and done it from the bottom up. So we are students ourselves and we know what students expect out of a piece of software. So we've finally been able to make something that appeals to that audience. So that's why I think sign-ups come in. In terms of AI in general, I think it's been promised for a long time. Um, obviously, going like back to sort of uh, people's ideas about the Terminator and Skynet and those sort of things, it's been, it's been a large part of our culture for the last decade or so. Um, and there's something known as a hype cycle. So I think when a new technology is first introduced or first sort of floated on the marketplace, everyone gets really excited about it. And then a few years later, they realize none of this stuff's come to fruition because there's a difference between a gimmick that can do something once and actually making it genuinely useful. Uh, I think we're actually crossing that bridge now where AI is starting to live up to the promise um, that we've been talking about for 10 years. I mean, take uh, Siri, for example. I don't know how long Siri's been around, probably about five years. And it's pretty much useless. Um, but it's getting better. Apple's finally opening it up to um, third parties like Spotify and SignUp can now plug into Siri, which means that they've got the confidence behind it. So I think it's just taken a while. And um, 2016, 17 should be some really interesting years. Yes, yeah. definitely. I, I've heard speaking to a few other people uh, that we've had several sort of AI winters since the very early days, where we had Turing thinking you know, with his seminal paper in the 50s. Uh, sure. And then since then, we've had several sort of eras, exactly as you say, where the hype seems to have faded, but it definitely seems to be back. And as you say, the, the real world applications are really coming through now. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's such a weird one. I mean, AI is not unique in it, but I think, it, I think we do underestimate how, I think with AI, we're basically trying to replicate um, what the human brain does. And I think we constantly underestimate just, just how intelligent um, our brain actually is. So yeah, you're right, Turing probably would have expected that we would have totally surpassed that point by now. I but think then so, discoveries yeah. just realise that we're not as close as we expected to be. Yes, it's always one more step away. First it was chess and then we realised, ah, chess is actually... Yes, just chess is actually fairly linear. When yes, you're... yeah, compu yeah. very computable problem. Um, okay, so how many people do you have using SignUp? Have you had a good response from it? Yeah, so um, we, we've growing it over time um the first thing that really made us sort of take a step back and think you know this could be a business and not just some sort of hobby project that we worked on was when we got about fifteen thousand downloads in six hours um a couple of years ago wow and yeah that was one of those is the analytics broken sort of moments uh, considering we were getting about 10 downloads a day before that and now that we've actually been running it as a business we've been We've had a good um, sort of exam season, so we're on about 500 to 600 visits a day on the website, and that grows by about 5 to 10% a week. Um, we're adding some features to it over summer, and then hopefully sort of really launching it off in September when all the students are back, and when we've had some sort of some quotes from people and added some new features. So yeah, it, it's growing fast. We've got a good viral spread because people enjoy it so much. They're happy to tell their friends about it and tweet about it. So that's really exciting. Fantastic. And what sort of feedback, what sort of comments have you had from users? Uh, what have they been saying? Users, um, we, we get tweeted by a bunch of students, which is really cool because, you know, at the end of the day, how many education companies actually get um, students 
interacting with people publicly and showing off how much they've been studying. Um, people like the interface. Uh, I think they're comfortable with something that's um, clearly born in the sort of social era. Um, people like the fact that it's just easy to use and it's intuitive. Um, so we've got a huge range of people from sort of GCSE, A-level students, right through to uh, postgraduates using it. So, uh, yeah, our, our key focus for the last few years has always been on the actual user experience. So it's good to get that feedback coming in. Fantastic. It must be very rewarding. Um, it is. I, okay, so... How exactly does the system work? Could you describe it briefly for us? Sure. So from a user's perspective, SignUp is a platform that lets you create your own multiple choice questions, uh, share them online or just keep them private, and then practice them. Uh, in addition to that, it's essentially got some features of a social network, so you can see um, friends and peers who are also studying and compare your scores. And then behind the scenes, we've got uh, algorithms that look at how you're doing and sort of suggest which questions you should be studying. So when you sign in, um, if you sign in through Facebook, we'll know what you're studying, we'll know who your friends are and what they're studying. So we'll have a pretty good idea of what your syllabus looks like for that year. And from then we'll use it to recommend you questions. So a big feature behind it is the spaced repetition. So essentially a couple of times a day, sign up will pull out the most relevant questions for you to study at that time. So the things that you're about to forget, according to our algorithm, and we'll basically just send you a notification saying, why don't you practice these five questions now? So it's really bite-sized revision that you can do in a few minutes whilst you're waiting for a train or just uh, walking down the street. Yes, I found that very interesting with the space repetition thing, because it's sort of... It, it's mirroring the way that we teach AI systems, you know, through this repetition of uh, results. It's almost like that's how we teach the AI, and now the AIs are teaching us in the same way. Yeah, you know, so. in a, it, no, in a <laughs> sense, that's that's totally true. Yeah, it's, it's sort of pattern recognition. Uh, I think going beyond that, it's, it's space repetition every, on one level, I think everyone gets. Like, you know, you never forget how to make a cup of tea or what your name is because you engage with that information so often your brain knows it's an important connection to make. Um, so it, it, it will literally um, create stronger neuronal connections uh, to, to represent that data. Whereas if it's something that you've only seen the once or something you don't really understand, your brain can't build a really strong mental model about it. So that's why you're likely to forget it over time. So the studies that show, for example, uh, when you read a book or when you sort of really think hard about something or when you're revising, it will actually produce visible changes on an MRI scan, for example. It will show sort of denser grey matter in certain areas of the brain. And that's essentially what we're doing with space repetition. So we're targeting specific misunderstandings or weak areas for students and just uh, drilling it into them and making them think about it multiple times a day so it eventually um, gets there without them having to worry about what they should be studying and when. Okay, so... Um... I think we have already touched on this a little, but how exactly is uh, artificial intelligence used in the application? What we do is uh, a lot of machine learning. So that's looking through data and trying to, find, trying to find correlations between different variables. The AI side of it comes in, it's initially based on spaced repetition algorithms that are already out there. So there's neuroscience research into you know, what happens after a day of remembering something, what happens after a week, and so on and so forth. The AI then comes in looking at uh, much smaller variables that you couldn't really pick up um, without using computing technology. So 
how long people hesitate for before answering something, linking it into people's sort of um, social network and doing a sort of peer comparison and um, just evolving with the user over time. So looking, looking at what sort of user that person is. Are they someone that revises at night? Are they someone who is uh, above average for their cohort? Are they someone who is really good at uh, maybe remembering facts but not so good at uh, critically interrogating information? And it uses that to build hypotheses about the user and test them uh, by sending the questions to them. Fascinating. So so it learns the user's strengths or weaknesses uh, and then sort of tailor its output to try and improve. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it learns about the user. It, it learns about the content. It learns about them as a sort of essentially their learning style. And that's, that's where we are at the moment. Uh, it's something that we'd like to evolve over time. So I think that when we're doing this at scale with you know 20,000 people, for example, we're going to learn some sort of things about the differences between those people that maybe haven't been explored before. So we might find that people with certain interests, uh, so we've got a few people's Facebook data, we might find that um, people who are, like, this is probably a bad example, but people who are dog owners might have a different sort of way of learning stuff than people who are cat owners, for example. Or we might find that people who are uh, geekier are better at learning certain topics or um, they study better in smaller chunks, whereas people who are more fans of books might prefer taking a few larger tests. So we can be generating all these sort of hypotheses and seeing what works. Yes, fascinating. So almost in the way that a, a human teacher would sort of recognise where where someone was going wrong and then perhaps focus more on other areas. It, sort of doing yeah. a similar thing but yeah, it's no, got, I suppose yeah. it's got the benefit of being able to as you say access this huge amount of data I, I suppose yeah. in, a, in a teacher's or um, a university tutor's lifetime they might come into contact with hundreds or maybe even thousands of students but with this program it's learning off a much larger data set so it can draw much more interesting conclusions that a human never would be able to I suppose. Yes it's got a higher power basically I think I think what you touched on there is actually like a really great way of um, sort of phrasing what AI is anyway so I think humans especially when you're talking about experts in their fields whether that's experts in teaching or experts in uh, medicine or whatever else it is they have a good sort of gut feeling for this stuff. So I think a good teacher will, will just sort of know, you know, how to treat a certain student or how to sort of get the most out of them. If you ask that teacher how they knew that, they might not really be able to point you to a specific answer because they're basing it on their experience, but they don't know the individual variables at play there because they don't, they don't have totally public access to their own um, reasoning, if that makes sense. Yeah. So with an AI, what you're trying to do is you're trying to get the benefits of that sort of gut feel. But in order to do that, you have to be able to see all of the variables going on. So, yeah, an AI is just a more um, a more computed and a more explicit form of the old expert intuition that's been um, really good for so long. Yes, and I suppose it will just get better and better and better with the more, more and more data it has to draw ever more interesting conclusions about these things. That, that, that's the hope. I mean, um, yeah, I mean... That's the hope for Sinaf. I think the wider point of that is we have we have no idea how far that's going to go. So as soon as an AI gets to the point where it's not even about whether it can get to the level of intelligence of a human, it's about when an AI gets to the point where it can become self-learning and it can sort of improve its own knowledge, 
maybe that's the level of a, of a rat's brain or a, a monkey or an insect. When it gets to that point and it's backed by the sort of replicating process and the pure raw computing power of a normal CPU, it will it will then surpass humans in a matter of days or weeks. It will go beyond that a few weeks from it and eventually you are... I don't think people are being hysterical when they talk about creating God from the machine here because we could end up with something in 50 years' time that is a thousand times smarter than any of us combined. And you could ask it any question in the world and it will fire you back an answer that you wouldn't even understand. And in that case, do you just do, you just do what it says? Do, do, do you ask yeah. it to try and explain it to you? Yeah, this is a very fascinating area. I believe people refer to that sort of thing as the intelligence explosion or uh, superintelligence as Nick Bostrom. Yes, I've not read Nick Boston's book yet, but that, that, I think that's where it is. It's you know, exactly that. Yeah. leading voices on this thing. Yeah. Well, I've actually, in the course of this programme, I spoke to his colleague at the Future of Humanity Institute in Oxford, uh, Dr. Oh, okay. Dr. Anders Sarnberg, and he's very much of the opinion that this is, um, this is not, an, not an if, it's a when, really. Yeah, I mean, it seems, it seems crazy because we're... Uh, it, it seems crazy because we can't fathom it, but when you think about it logically... It would be very surprising if that didn't happen. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. But then again, I've spoken to some people, uh, Mark, uh, Mark Bishop, for example, uh, he- head of AI studies at Goldsmiths here in London. Right. Uh, and he's, uh, without getting too <laughs> deep into it, he's sort of of the opinion that without the sort of, he doesn't believe they can ever have knowledge in the real sense that we do, sort of knowing what a rose smells like you know it, it... well that but that's an interesting point that, it's, it's, are you familiar with um sam harris's work yes yes yeah so i i love um most of the things that sam does but i think he's been it's been really interesting in seeing put his views onto the ai space because i think he brings more of a sort of neuroscientist consciousness sort of view to it rather yeah. than sort of like a programmer's perspective mm. and so there's a question of you've got an intelligent machine that's as intelligent or a million times more intelligent than a human, it could do everything that we do. So if we gave it a physical presence, it would look and sort of feel and act like a human. Mm-hmm. It might be a zombie. There might not be a, a qualitative aspect to what it's like to be that machine. But I don't think that necessarily takes anything away from it. It could still do all the things that you wanted it to do or the things that you didn't want it to do whether or not it can smell the rose, it will go through all the motions of doing it. Yes, and that's the functionalist argument, uh, that it doesn't matter if there's any inner experience going on. If it, if it acts in the same way as our brain states, then it is, you know, for better or worse, exactly the same. It's a fascinating yeah. area. It gets into so much philosophy as well, which is very interesting. It's, it's, cra- it's crazy, and it gets into, I think, like the deepest question that you've got, which is what is consciousness essentially and yes and we it, may or may not solve it on this podcast but if we do we're going to be rich yeah <laughs> and it, it sort of comes back to ultimately as well sort of us trying to work out what are what our place is and what it means to be human you know as more and more tasks are being replaced by artificial agents it more and more becomes the question well what do we then do and what's special about being a human it's a fascinating yeah. time to be alive i think it, it, it's, it's crazy oh, i totally agree it's a crazy time to be alive i think it's already the most change you've ever seen and I think we're only at the sort of precipice of it but yeah there's people talking about a world without work um, whether or not that would be a good thing whether or not we could design the right economic systems for that and you're right what what do we do after that it's it's crazy I hope we're um, alive to see to get some sort of answer there 
Yes, it's fascinating as well. It goes back to sort of a lot of Greek mythology. Uh, they were thinking about this this sort of stuff a, a long, long time ago, and uh, it's, there always seems to be, have been a split between people who imagine this beautiful future where work is a distant memory and mm. we can sort of do what we want, or as you say, if our economic system is based on exchanging labour for money, and if there's no more labour to be done, then we're going to have to seriously readdress all that, I suppose. Yeah, and it's, it's, I'm sure that if we wanted to, we, we, if we had the will to, we could have some sort of system that did that. You, we're not there at the moment, and, and Sam Harris makes it really well. Right now, when Uber becomes the world's global taxi company, the only people that benefit from that really are Uber. Mm. So maybe we need something different there. But then, yeah, for me, I think you're right. It's that question of what what do you do to fill that time? How do people get meaning out of their lives and stuff like that? Yeah, well, it's a fa- yeah. fascinating, fascinating things to be thinking about. Um, so, sorry, uh, very interesting tangent. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, it, was, it was it was a good tangent. I think we've, yeah, we've got about sounds we can go on. That yeah, okay. So, um, back back to the sort of sign up uh, your particular application. Mm-hmm. Has the system surprised you at all in in the insights it's been able to offer you? Um, good question. We're we're constantly sort of like pivoting in general. Um, so I think we're still at a stage where we're we're still sort of collecting a lot of this data. And um, next year we would like to run some studies with universities where we do some actual sort of controlled trials where some people are using the algorithms and some people aren't. And I think that will give us some interesting sort of surprises. So far, in terms of things that have surprised us, just the fact that so many people do use it and how regularly regularly they use it, to be honest, because um, I knew that we used it and we saw a need for it. But um, I think the fact that we've got students spending an average of about 10 minutes on the site um, and when, we've got, when we have the app, using it sort of three to four times a day just to answer a couple of questions... I think it sort of really challenges the the accepted notion that students really hate doing work and will put it off at all costs, which is sort of true to an extent. But I think it's interesting that sign up to me maybe suggests that they've just never been given a digital platform that they actually wanted to use before. Yes, yeah. Well, it seems like a very interesting uh, project to me, certainly. Um, okay, so what, what would you say are the sort of major benefits of using AI in teaching? I mean, I suppose one of the obvious ones is they don't get tired. <laughs> you know, you can get your cramming done at whatever time in the morning you want. But what would you suggest that are the major benefits? World without work sort of um, visions aside, uh, I think that there's, there's advantages to having teachers that, that you won't easily or you wouldn't necessarily even want to replace with, with an AI. I mean, the, the idea of having a, a human contact in the room who's got a relationship with the students, um, who can respond to things personally in a human way is always really important. I think where AI can help is it, if we had all of the money and resources in the world, we know that what we would do is very small group teaching and one-to-one tutoring. We know that that's what gets, gets the best results. Uh, in terms of actual education and attainment. Obviously, we can't actually do that, uh, especially not in a public school system. And there's lots of reasons why you wouldn't want to, because you want the kids to be able to socialise and and play and um, interact with each other. So I think what AI can do is um, be a very good supplement to traditional teaching methods, where you're getting the advantages of a human teacher and the advantages of sort of large class discussions 
but you're also getting the advantages of personal one-to-one tuition and personalized learning plans. Yes, so you see it really being a benefit when combined with more traditional te- teaching methods. Yeah, I think you get you get a best of both worlds sort of thing with the old and new there. Yes, yes. Okay, and I suppose we, we touched a little earlier that one of the benefits of the AI is sort of being able to recognise patterns that a human perhaps wouldn't. And Yes. Yeah, and so it can evolve in that way. So... Uh, what were some of the biggest sort of challenges involved in building the AI features of SynApp or SynApp more broadly? Um, good question. SynApp more broadly, um, are you interested here from a, largely a technical perspective or just sort of like a business startup um, proposal in general? I, su- I suppose more more of a technical, but obviously as a, a kind of broad audience, so we can't go too deep into the technical sure. side but that's fine um, the, the biggest problem that we have and most companies in our position have is scale so uh, as a startup you're um, you're quite small for a long time but you're building something that can literally overnight um, sort of multiply its traffic by a thousand uh, that's what happened to us when we got the 15,000 downloads um, it's what we're prepping to happen again in September so we've got to build a system that not only works, but that will continue working uh, when we've got a million people using it at the same time. So that just involves choosing your technology really carefully and making sure that you're building things that will last and are reliable. Um, that's something that we've had to um, just consider really carefully. Um, in terms of the AI, it's... it's just challenging from a lot of different ways. You've got the actual technical um, capability that you've got to have down, and we're lucky to have most of that in-house. I know how to program, as does my co-founder, and Omer now does a large chunk of the AI programming and has learned up around those. But we combine that with our sort of medical knowledge as well. So we're creating algorithms that represent uh, research that's coming out of psychology and neuroscience, for example. So translating those into codes uh, can be quite difficult. I can imagine. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well. Um, so where do where do you see Sign Up headed in the longer sort of term? What What are your real aspirations for the project? Sure. Um, I think Sign Up could be the world's first um, sort of marketplace for educational quiz content. I use marketplace in a really specific term in the sense that you've got YouTube as your sort of go-to marketplace for video content, um, Twitter for sort of short-form news content and, and other bits. I think Sign Up is onto something where we can have people coming to produce content either for free or they could charge for it if they're a tutor or they've just got a degree they want to do something with. And then we attract people who want to consume that content as well, whether they're school students, university, or professional uh, doctors, lawyers, etc. Um, so I think we could create that environment, and it could be quite thriving because there's such there's such a demand for this sort of thing. And I think we can really develop the algorithms as well. So uh, you know we've been, we've gone in fairly in depth on the AI, but I think that's something that the quality of the community and of the algorithms that we've got and the accuracy of the predictions that we make goes up with every user that we get because we get, we're giving ourselves a stronger data set. So I think as it grows, it could be something very interesting in the personalised learning space. There's a lot of people competing for that right now, but we're, we're well positioned to do it. And if we can hit a few of our targets over the next six months or so, 
we'll be looking to raise about a million to 1.5 billion pounds that will let us just really scale it internationally and hire some top AI and neuroscience programmers. Inter- uh, an interesting future then. Uh, all the best to you with it. Um, Fingers crossed. Yes. yes. Um, so I, I, I know earlier we, we were saying that right now it really works best uh, in combination with more traditional teaching methods. But do you ever envisage a day or imagine sometime in the future when we would be able to have, you know, teachers would, human teachers would become a thing of the past, you know? Are we ever going to get there? Or I, I you know... I, I think we're there in, in, in many ways um, and I think it's just the roles changing and I think a similar thing's happening in my own field in, in medicine as well. The knowledge is out there now. Um, if, you're, if you want to learn about physics or AI 30 years ago, pretty much your only way of doing that would have been to go to university. You, you, you could have checked out a book at the library but there'd be no, there'd be nothing there to help you understand. Like there'd be you know, physics journals or whatever, but there'd be nothing to help you understand the lingo and stuff between it. Mm. Now, if people want to learn about physics, they, they can see sort of Brian Cox on, on YouTube and get a primer that way. They can chat to people on Reddit. They can look at all the news stories. So I think people can train themselves, and that's what companies like Coursera are doing. We're doing our own part in that. So I think a lot of stuff has been replaced by self-learning and uh, teachers putting their resources on the internet and essentially that's uh, teachers scaling themselves up so Coursera uh, and YouTube educational videos sign up quizzes in one sense they're they're AI inventions or they're they're the very least technological interventions but they're really they're they're human content that's been created by an expert in their field so I think right now the technology is just more of the distribution channel and an augmentation of it, rather than actually replacing it. So for, for AI to replace humans, you'd be talking about an AI designing a course for someone or designing a video, mm. which I, you know, sounds unfathomable, but you can't really say it's impossible given what AI can do. But it would have to understand people very well. Um, so I don't know, I guess, really, is the answer to that one. I think if the answer is yes, then... We, if the answer is yes to that question, will AI ever totally replace it? Then the answer is also yes to will we ever have a world without work? Because yes. if you can place, replace professional teachers, you can replace doctors, you can replace lawyers, and if you can replace professions, then there's not much else that you can't replace. Yes, exactly. Very good point. Um, is, is there anything that you would sort of like to add? Uh, anything um, I, I just just a shameless plug, I guess. Um, so sign up's available uh, and it's free uh, at signup.ac. Got a huge range of content from sort of medicine to law to uh, GCSE to I think martial arts and um, just all sorts really. Um, really interested to hear what people think about it. And if people want to get in touch, uh, they can follow me on Twitter, uh, Gupta underscore James, and always happy to chat that way. But no, uh, really enjoyed it. It's been a really good conversation, Max. So there you have it. People teaching machines to teach people to teach machines to teach people. It could all get pretty surreal before too long. Many thanks to James for that fascinating insight. Next time we'll be continuing with our exploration of all things artificially intelligent. So stay tuned for more pieces to get thinking about. 
In the meantime, if you'd like to get in touch or have any suggestions, send an email to contact.thinkpeace at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at think underscore peace and Facebook at Think Peace Podcast. And of course, be sure to subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes. And if you like what you hear, please do give us a rating and get sharing. So thanks for listening and until next time, take care.